Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of when you live in Mama's house, you gotta play by Mama's rules. You said we had McDonald's hamburgers. This ain't a McDonald's hamburger. You wait till you get home and talk to your father. Okay. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week we are talking about all of the groups that are associated with your PCs. And are they helpful? Do they hurt you? You know, what's, uh, you know, how, you know, how to, and from a, more from a game design standpoint than rather players, but certainly players can, can be, can be involved in this. Uh, how to make sure that they actually are beneficial and not, okay? Because, uh, you know, and of course it depends on your game because each game is going to have different associated groups. And usually when we talk about associated group, it's not just like the guy who, run, you know, the, the 7-Eleven that you all go down in the middle of the night and, you know, buy, buy the Ripple, which by the way, I found out is currently going for $200 a bottle. Oh, on eBay because they haven't made any since the seventies. Oh my gosh! Okay, yeah, the last <laughs> time I heard about it was on Sanford and Son. Yeah, okay. there you go. Anyways, uh, but I'm just saying we're not talking about those. You know, just your, your everyday merchants and things like that. We're talking about the power structures, the overarching, especially if you are considered part of an organization. Those associated groups, how do they affect you, and is it a good thing or a bad thing? The first question we, we would we would want to ask would be, can you think of an example of a campaign that wouldn't have an associate group like that? Uh, the one that immediately comes to mind is like if you're doing like a, well, the one that comes to my mind immediately is because I'm kind of working on it as a fantasy campaign where you're, what was it? I think the, the term is called West Marches, where you're just exploring a frontier. And you really aren't a member of a group. You're just a bunch of mercenary explorers just out to expand the horizons of, you know, the known realms. Or just to get rich. Yeah, well, that's why you're doing it. Well, you, yeah. know, you know, maybe not. Maybe you're doing it for fame. But, uh, yeah, sure. you know, the, yeah. the uh, fur traders in uh, in Russia on the, um, uh, the eastern coast. Uh, they would go out for like a, a year, sometimes two, but usually about a year. And they would go out and just, you know, build a whole sleigh. And we're talking big sleigh full of, of, of pelts that's you know, from killing hundreds, if not thousands, of, um, uh, of, of minks and other things like that. I forget exactly the what exactly it was, but to, the, um, it was a particular... Um, like an otter, I can't remember. But anyways, uh, they the, the furs was just like velvet. I mean, it was usually valuable. Anyways, so they take this. You know, they could be out there for an entire year, and nobody bothered. I mean, unless of course they tried to jump each other's good spots, in which case there was blood on the ground, and you know, and somebody, somebody may you know either one of them got away with, with the, the the other person's you know, cash, or at least some of it, or they both died and someone else comes along and, and reaps the benefit of both. Hard to say, you know, but the point is, is that after that year, they would uh, drag it back to town, you know, literally drag it back to a, a port, a, um, a trading city, okay, that was really designed for these kinds of people, okay? And they would come in and they'd, bring them up and they tally up it and they'd say this is the price that we're paying right now they give them all this gold or coinage of some kind and these 
people, mostly guys, almost always guys, would just go nuts. They would, you know, it would anything goes. You know, I mean, they would they get their drink on, they get their, you know, fun on, they get their gambling on, and two weeks later they would be dead broke. And off they would go, you know, and they would just, you know, so of course you'd, you'd buy all your equipment, all your food and, and, and supplies and stuff that you need before you did this. And then you just get your stuff and drag it on back in the wilderness and do it again. So, yeah, I mean, really, there wasn't, I mean, other than the fact that there needed to be somebody to take your stuff somewhere, you know, uh, nobody was in charge of these guys. You know, they, they basically lived the life that they wanted to live. And if they ran into natives, and there were natives out there, you know, uh, they did what they whatever they decided to do, whatever they could get away with and still survive. So um, is that what you're talking about, Jonathan? Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, it's just you're, you're just going out. At the, the only real association is your friends you're going out with. You know, you don't have a, a boss that you're answering to. Right, because we're not talking about Lewis and Clark, right? Because Lewis and Clark, those, they were actually army, you know, cavalry, you know, whatever. And they, they were, you know, they, they had a group that was paid for by the U.S. government. And they, they did, the, they had a, 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 an area they had to explore and things they had to do. And the, the people who worked for them were, you know, uh, were under their authority. So, uh, you know, they, they essentially were, you know, so, you know, the, the army was over them, right? So they, they, yeah, they couldn't had do, to answer to somebody. Yeah, right. They knew they were going to answer, not, if, you know, and of course, if they did anything really bad along the way, that somehow those, that could get back to them, it could, you know, they could literally be called back. This happened for people that were out, um, uh, you know, uh, who were who your uh, privateers? You got you got a, 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 an order of mark, which allows you to st uh, come to friendly ports and get your ships fixed and get resupplied and things like that. But there were things, but you were not allowed to do certain things. There were you know there were people you could prey on and people that you could not prey on. You were basically the king's pirates. Yeah. Yes. Indeed, you yeah. were, you know, and other and other groups would occasionally run up the uh, flag of a uh, of a protected country in regards to yourself. Uh, and your captain would have to make a uh, hard decision whether or not he believed that was a legitimate flag or not. Because if it wasn't a legitimate flag, if it was a legitimate flag and he went in and attacked him, what would they have to do, Trav? Uh, that basically would start a war. No, it'd be no survivors. Uh, well, yeah. And it would, Aye, it dead men tell no tales. Dead yeah, men tell no tales. It yeah. would start a war. You shot up our ship. Well, yeah. we thought, thought it was fake. No, you can't have, yeah. you, you, that story. That cannot be your defense. Okay. If you were lucky when it was all over, you basically got to uh, retire to a nice island and, and uh, a nice homestead. And if you were unlucky, you got brought up on high treason charges. Yeah. Even though yeah. you might have spent most of your time actually doing the, doing the work that the government wanted you to do. So, but anyways, so yeah, piracy theoretically, if you were a truly independent pirate, then, you know, there were a few places you could go and nobody cared who you were, you know, uh, like uh, Tortuga Bay and, um, and a few other places on, uh, especially along the African coast. Uh, but uh, most... Uh, uh, and I don't, and I don't know enough about the you know, Chinese pirates to know where their safe harbors were. But the, um, you know, that I can see piracy might be a place to do that. You know, uh, if you were, um, you know, the one that I thought of, which is you know nowhere near as as, as uh, you know dastardly, but uh, I was thinking about if you're just this person who's running a campaign. Uh, in a fantasy world where you're going out into the woods and you're just trying to collect, um, you know, herbs and, you know, body parts of animals and things like that. And then cooking up the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the potions, the poultices, the, uh, the, the various scents and whatever, oils, you know, essential oils. And then you take them into town and you sell them, you know, at an open air market, you know, 
and then you go back into your woods, that's that's kind of like you don't have a, a any associate group. That reminds me of the early days of Ultima Online. Was it? Okay. It, very much it was go out, gather resources, or hunt animals, or do whatever you're going to do, and then come back to town to sell it, and hope nobody mugged you on the way. Yeah. <laughs> there was always those random encounters. Right. Okay, so, you know, in, in the fantasy worlds, as long as it's basically a small group, but, you know, usually these designers stuff, they always try to rope you into something, right? So, okay, so you, um, and, and one of the problems, if you're successful at doing this, is uh, you're, you know, you, you, you will draw attention to yourself eventually. Your success draws attention to itself, either because people are like, well, you know, where are they putting all this gold they must be making? Okay. Or, uh, hey, uh, you know, these people are good for fleecing because they've got stuff, you know. I mean, the, your, your standard D&D &D group, right? You know, they walk into town. And, you know, the group itself has is, is got enough magic items and, and uh, pristine armor and various things like that to basically buy the entire town. Yeah. Or, you know, depending on the harshness of the world, wow, they're over the age of 30. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they survived to, to reach, you know, almost middle age. Well, you know, that's why in those days, you know, getting married at 14 wasn't so un uh, unbelievable. Yeah, that that was something I always mentioned when Fur and I were watching stuff like, you know, The Last Kingdom or all these, where you see these incredibly old men and the actors are in their 60s or 70s. And I look at you to realize that the oldest was back then, 40, was considered ancient. She goes, yes, I know, dear, just watch the show. Yeah, yeah. but, you know, John <laughs> Adams and... Um, uh, uh, it was John Adams and um, it was a Jackson and Adams. It, no, no, Jefferson. Jefferson and John Adams were had such a uh, mad on on each other that they were they they were trying to die later than each other, and so one of them finally died at like eighty, and they sent the the message off to the other guy, and the guy says, "Ah, finally," and he dies like within hours <laughs> of getting the message. He literally was holding on for spite. But he was hey, in his hey, 80s. So, yeah, in uh, 17, whatever, you know, the yeah, late... Yeah, 1790s, yeah. Yeah, late, late 18th century, yeah. Well, it's that elven solution to your enemies. Outlive them, you know. That's always, that's, you know, our, our policy around our house has always been that the uh, best form of revenge is living well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... All right. So, but like a lot of uh, uh, a lot of campaigns, a lot of uh, games themselves are oriented around you being part of a larger group, and that's what we're really talking about here. Okay. So, uh, and you know, two uh, you know, some examples are uh, Starfleet. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Okay, I mean, I mean, because you know, we talk so much about the TriTac games. I wanted to make sure we had some other things. So you know, and then of course Bureau Thirteen and IDET, which is part of the IDA, which is the International Authority, a part of the UN. Uh, of course, you know, in in a lot of uh, campaigns, anime and whatever, not the Church. The church, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with yeah. big capital letters. It's not just hey, we have like a you know, it's 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 not like uh, India where they have like a thousand gods, okay, and there's a thousand temples, you know, and everybody's just kind of copacetic with each other, and they have layers. Is like you know, when there's there's a lot of most of these campaigns, it's like there's the church, and then there's there all the also runs, okay, um, and then finally um, there is the military leadership. Okay, you know, who basically, whether or not the country is a military dictatorship or just the fact that, you know, if you have a military leadership over you, they're very, they're going to expect you to answer to them. So uh, these are. I would add, I would add one more. Please, please do. Uh, the Corp, the Corpo, the Megacorp. Yeah, or Megacorps. The, yeah, I mean, it, depending on your setting, that is either your government or military or your church, but it could also just just be a a rich benefactor. 
these uh, trans-national uh, uh, corporations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In cyberspace and and um, also some of the uh, more futuristic. The Japanese. Yeah, the Japanese. They might not be. They might not be as concerned about the local laws, but they have their own policies. You better not be breaking, and you certainly better not cause the stock value to drop. Yeah, I I played in a lot of cyberpunk and cyberspace type games, but I never quite ever got the feeling that anything that we did had any real impact on the big corporations. It mostly had an impact on our continued survival. That was about it. But uh, yeah, you know, but it definitely could do that. All right. So in most cases, it sounds good, you know, to have a group that's basically over you that can advise you and supposedly has your back and stuff like that. But what's the downside of having an organization like this uh, basically over top of you? Uh, Jonathan? Well, depending. I mean, for one thing is they limit your freedom. I mean, whether it be you literally cannot do something because whatever magic or technology they provide won't let you do something. Can you give me an example of that? How technology or magic would limit you? Actually, I just started playing Starfield. And the very, very first mission, you're uh, you're given... Uh, this this gentleman from Constellation, the group that you eventually join, um, he gives you his ship, and he tells the the robot to accompany you. And I can't remember the exact wordage, but basically the robot is programmed to make sure you go back to home base. You cannot do anything else until you go back to home base. You cannot fly anywhere else. You can't do anything but proceed how, towards. How does he home stop base. you? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't test the boundaries of it <laughs> I was oh happy. come on this, dude I, this was literally my first playthrough and i'm still only like two hours in the game i haven't had much time to play so all right but, i'm just saying you should you should definitely test those boundaries well i will eventually but <laughs> you know because most <laughs> games say something along those lines and then but you can go off as many side quests as you want till you finally get back on the main track mm-hmm. yeah I, I, this was one i just i I literally just started. I'm I'm happy to go along with the tutorial for now because I had I don't know yet. But yeah, eventually I am going to start testing those boundaries because why wouldn't you? <laughs> well, because it could be bad for your reputation. It could be bad, or maybe the the ship literally won't let you plot a course anymore. Maybe else. the robot will punish you. <laughs> All right, you okay? Stop it! I'm taking a finger until you stop hitting the wrong button. <laughs> Uh, I actually read, um, uh, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I read a story like this where this guy was hired to be a, um, a, a, an explorer. And he's like, and he, he said, why do you want me? I'm terrible. I got, I got allergies. I, I, I get cold easily. I'm weak. You know, I, I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the smartest pencil, sharpest pencil in the box. And they said, oh, no, no. See, you know, we tried sending out all these like Olympic, you know, uh, uh, you know, super, uh, super explorers. Okay. And yeah, they go to a world and, you know, and they, they'd shake off a plague or, you know, they'd, they get into a situation and they'd, they'd solve it by, by, you know, uh, you know, creating, you know, uh, cold fusion with a couple of twigs and a bottle of water. Okay. But your average colonist is not going to be that person. So we had we, we needed a, lo- a lower standard to see whether or not this was a safe place to send people. So we're going to send you instead. And he's like, oh, so you're sending me because you think I, I there's a really good chance I could die. And they said, yeah. And they're like, oh, great, sign me up, you know, because it was a lot of money. <laughs> so, uh, and he said, but don't worry, we have this robot here that's going to help you. And so he gets there, and bad things happen. He sprains things, breaks bones, burns himself. You know, burns down the first hut he tries to make. You know, but then over time, he starts getting better. He starts learning how to do things. He starts, you know, he's not too. He's not incredibly stupid. So, and and then he starts noticing things that the robot starts behaving badly and and he's the robot starts like 
leaving things, you know, uh, taps open so the water, all the water runs out of the water tank. Or, you know, he's, he falls over and crushes, you know, uh, uh, a bunch of supplies. Or he does this and that, and he realizes that the robot is designed to maintain the same level of incompetence for, for the group of the two of them. So the better he gets, the worse the robot's going to get, and sooner or later, that robot's going to become dangerous for him. Because, you know, there's this standard that the robot uh, can evaluate, because up till then, he was helpful. Up to then, he was fixing his, you know, he was binding up his wounds. You know, one time he caught him, he was about to fall off a cliff. You know, now he's afraid the robot's going to push him off the cliff. <laughs> so, so, yes, there's this problem where if there's a standard that you're supposed to be, and uh, there was a, a Kirk Vonnegut story, um, and I, I, I can't remember the name of it because it was a funny name. But um, it was about a future in which they decided everybody had to be the same. So if you had really good eyesight, they would give you glasses that would give you headaches and blur your vision. And uh, if you were really smart, you'd have to wear a headset that would scream high-intensity sound so you couldn't keep a coherent thought in your head. And... You know, and, and and one thing after another like that, this entire society was based around the lowest common denominator. And the guy who was in charge of the country was this quadriplegic. <laughs> so you know, who had who basically, you know, talked to people by by sucking and, and blowing on a little little uh sensor that he had in his mouth. Um and but that that was to to make sure that everybody was you know everybody was equal. And at one point they even asked you know they, they were interviewing this one the woman this one guy who had this screeching loud you know headset and she said well you know I I feel sorry for him sometimes that he has to go through that but you know but I feel much better about our relationship when I know that you know he's not I I can participate equally with my husband. In other words, she was dumb as a brick. Yeah. <laughs> but now she's able to participate equally because he's not smarter than she is. Because he can't think anymore. So, and uh, occasionally she'll she'll let him take the thing off for a really short period of time, but then he has to put it right back on. So she's, so she's in control of the relationship. So she likes that too. Anyways, I'm just saying, so there's, if there is a standard that this overarching group you know, has established, you have to, you have to, you know, you, know, you got to do it. You got to do all your, if it's a church, you got to do all of your rituals. You got to be there for all your feast groups. You got to pay your tithe, right? Yep. I mean, you there's a lot of, tithe. there's a lot of things that, you know, uh, that you got to do to stay in their good graces. And if you don't stay in their good graces, then in the worst case scenario, then they're going to kill you. Because, you know, you're, you know, you, you promise, you know, when you joined up, it was, you're going to do that. But usually what you're afraid of happening is that you're going to lose the benefits that you get from being part of that overarching group. Okay, so what are the benefits that you would expect from being part of a, having a, a, another group over, you know, basically associated with you and, and providing um, some kind of uh, mentorship to you? Well, it would be, first of all, equipment. There would be, hopefully, some type of medical assistance if you're going out for this group and you are getting yourself into trouble, like a military or, let's say, you're a paladin of a church. And, well, you know, you know, my healing powers only go so far. I need to, you know, convalesce at the hospital. We have one of our hospitalers take care of us. Um Let's see, equipment, healing, transportation, if need be, um, to get around places, and even just to get to your assignment. It's like, yeah, you know, you're going to supply us with the horses and the carriages, right? Or you're going to supply us with a plane or whatever. Uh, let's see. Because that assumes that you don't have that ability to do that yourself, right? Well, right, yeah. They'll They'll pick up the slack that, you know, oh, yeah, we've hired you for this job. We know you have, you know particular set of skills you know but we'll yeah <laughs> you know and just they will 
fill in the rest that that they need for you to do the job. And as I say, it could be healing, could be food, could be transportation, it could be equipment, weaponry, armor, um, logistical support. You know, for modern day stuff, you know, you have what do they call him? The guy in the chair. You know, the guy in the chair. The guy in the chair. Yeah, you know, there's always in in modern futuristic stuff. You always got the one guy who's the guy in the chair. Oh, the guy who looks at the monitors and is right. The, yeah, yeah. That yeah, is the like, voice in your ear. Yeah, like Chloe from Twenty Four. Yeah, you know. And of course, we use you know guy in a gender neutral term, folks. Just yeah, but no, you they they give you all the equipment that you need to do the job that they brought you in for. Okay, how about you, yeah. uh, Jonathan? Uh, backup in all its different forms, whether it be physical backup to go with you on a mission, or logistical backup so that you don't have to return to base so frequently as you're on your mission, or informational backup as we said you have somebody sitting in the chair reading the monitors feeding the information or going to the library and researching you know the ancient rites you need to do to banish this elder demon and stuff like that okay well all right so and and things that i would you know i comes to my mind is is that you they provide a lot of times they provide you with access to either a information that's not commonly available uh or B, um, they, uh, you know, as you talked about that that supplying, you don't have to find those lines of supply. They already have them set up. You're just they allow you access to tap them. So if you need, you know, any special equipment done, if you need um, uh, special knowledge about something, uh, you know, you know, uh, subject matter experts. Uh, it, as you said, you know, uh, in, in a D&D type setting or a fantasy setting, you know, you're, if you're beginning characters, you probably, you know, it's nice to know that someone can bring you back from the dead. And they're not going to, like, make you do something. I mean, you're, you're, they're prob- you're probably already making you do something ridiculous if you're, you know, looking forward to dying <laughs> this trip. But I'm just saying is that... Uh, uh, usually you don't have the ability to come back from the dead you know, without it being something really... Most games, it's something really high and powerful. Now, not always, because, you know, you get into a, a, enough of a futuristic setup, you might have somebody who basically takes your brain and, and puts it into a storage. And uh, when I say a storage, I mean, like, backs it up. And then if you die, they just go and put you into a clone body and you're back. You know, uh, that's kind of what uh, they do in uh, Paranoia. You oh, get, yeah. You get like six clones. So, yep. uh, so you know, they, they, they give you the kind of access, you know, to things, uh, lifelines, and, and tactical information uh, that you otherwise would not have available without you taking a lot of time to develop it yourself. Okay, you know, and that could... And, and I know that, you know... When I ran my first D and D campaign, I mean, we literally spent a lot of time doing that, you know. And I finally, uh, the, every time we went into a town, it was always like, "Is there a magic shop? Can I go to the magic shop and see if they have anything?" And then I'd have to go and you know work up, you know, what was in the magic shop and all this stuff like that. And as GM, <clears throat> it was a pain, you know, because most of the places they went to had crap because they were, you know, some a little hamlet. You know, nobody could afford really expensive stuff. And usually if you did go to see any person who had anything might be the, the the town wizard, you know, would probably send you off on another quest before he'd even talk to you. So uh, so what I set up was I said, okay, you know, if uh, there is a magic uh, buying and selling network, okay, you, you hire an agent that agent's part of this larger group, and that agent takes your list, and over the next month will travel around and and see whether or not things become available, you know. And they talk to each other using various forms of communication. And uh, if something comes available, uh, then they'll come back to you and say, "Okay, this is this th- on your list." Of, of the many things that might be on it, this is what you. Um, uh, this is what came up, and this is the price. 
And if you said, no, I don't want, I, I can't afford that, or no, I think that price is too high, they say, okay, but you're gonna, I'm gonna charge you, I'm charging you my commission anyways because I found it. So they always yeah. had to pay that. Uh, mm -hmm. But the point still okay. was is that there was a lot of equipment, you know, that they they would never have been able to find. There would have been no no reasonable way of unless that was the whole point of you having an adventure was to go to some place where you heard that they might have had this one magic item, you know, that's uh, basically a, a fetch quest. Um, you know, you'd never run into most of the magic items that were in the book because, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of them, you know. Now, I did penalize them when they came to me and said, oh, here's this list of 200 magic items I'd like my, my agent to look for. And I'm like, you do realize that you're not his only person, right? <laughs> and, yeah. And, it, you know, and it takes time to talk to all these people and, and grease palms and various things like that. So, you know, you have this big list so, you know, and what it's going to mean is is that uh, it's actually lowering. If you get above a certain amount, you're, which I never said what it was, you're lowering your chance of of getting, you know, any of the items. So I, it's always better to have a small list that your guy's going to work really hard at at finding, uh, versus a really long list that is going to be more along the lines of uh, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to look for something really rare, I, you know, even though it might be really valuable. I'm going to look at stuff that I think I might find so I get paid my commission. <laughs> so you look more toward the lower end. So anyways, the uh, which, of course, the, is the, 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 low, the less valuable an item is, the higher the chance of it being around because things like potions and stuff like that, they're, 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 they're made more. So, anyways, I had this whole thing. I basically had a computer program that, that we t we had everything in there. Every month we'd hit the button, you know, and it would run and say, "Okay, this month the on your list these items have come up for sale. Are you willing to buy them?" And we would, you know, and, and it it's it's became a bit of a problem because, as I mentioned before, I would have like a year go by between each session, each each adventure. So they'd be like, "Well, that's twelve rolls, right?" You know, I'm like, dude, there's like six of you. You want uh, 72 rolls we're going to have to do now. So it's like, but anyways, that, that was a whole, now in other words, that, you know, at once, uh, you know, 25% of the time we were playing now became, you know, uh, checking our magic list to see if any of our items that we wanted came into play. Well, I think it's because they, yeah, they, they see that and you get this, oh, I have access to this group that can get me anything. Fine, I want it all now. No, 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 and they they get this idea that they're they're trying to to play the org as it is, as they say, and just oh no, you never do that because in the end they are playing you. They will realize that you are worth you are more trouble than you are worth. And like Eric the neighbor look would used to say, hey look, there's the door. Why don't you use it? Yeah, or they will get rid of you on their own. Right. Well, my, my point here is, is that instead of them going out and adventuring that week, they were spending their time sitting there going through the list and having me run this program on my home computer. Okay, and I'm saying they could have been out adventuring, doing the daring do stuff that was what their characters were all about, but instead they're, they're basically, you know, sitting in, sitting in a back room playing poker, <laughs> essentially, you know, and... And they didn't even realize because you're only playing once a week. There's four weeks in a month. You know, if we roll this thing, you know, uh, you know, it's you know, it's a lot of your time is going going away because of this. You know, so, and that's one of the things I'm talking about. Sometimes, if you're not careful, these resources that they make available to you can actually hurt you because they can put you into an analysis paralysis situation or they can have you like, well, you know, the, the excellent is the enemy of the good. So I'm not going to buy this one item because this other item might come up and I need to save my money for that. So now I'm going to go into the adventure under equipped or less equipped than I could have been because I want to save my money for this really special item. And, and this happens in every type of game like that. When you have a spaceship, you know, that you want to upgrade to better shields or better whatever, you know, there's times when you don't take, let's say, consumables 
You know, uh, one of the games I like a lot is called Starpoint Gemini, and you, there's these slots, and you, each one you can put in a consumable, a, a speed booster, a shield booster, um, a, a, a thing that creates a momentary jump point and lets, lets you leap like out of out of a fray. Okay, but they're all, they all cost money, and if you spend your money there, you're not spend you know uh, you can't spend it on an upgrade to your basic list of, of of equipment that you that you might have available on your ship and you know it's and that, that's what i'm talking about how it, it can be a problem if suddenly someone says hey let's all learn how to be mages well you know it's going to take some time to do that right yeah okay no, and it's not easy and, yeah and, and you got to have mage clothes right <laughs> you know, you got to go down to Evander's uh, wand shop and 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 get the right one. You know, and, you know, we'd have extra healing potions, but Bob had to buy the the robes with the fancy trim. Way to go, Bob! Yes, exactly. Yeah, right, yeah. right. You know, and and you run into that in lots of games. And not, not I mean, I, I'm making a play there on on fantasy, but I mean, uh, uh, cyberpunk. All the gear, I spent so much time in Cyberpunk, you know, uh, going down to chop shops and things like that, trying to upgrade, you know, my gear. You know, my favorite was the uh, was the the little skill computer implant you could put in your brain, and then you could just basically take little discs that has skills on them and pop them in and out as you needed them. You know, and and to me, you know, and it basically gave you a big skill boost in in that area. And I always thought that was the coolest thing. Everybody else, however, was like, "Ah, oh, subdermal body armor." Okay, you're going to be out for three weeks, but that's and that's because this stuff's available. All right, if you if you're forced, if you don't have these things, okay, if you're forced to basically make do with what you yourself can make or just what you are, you know, you actually get a lot more play, you know, more adventuring, more whatever you your 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 game's about than if you spend all this time, you know, with gearing and and all that other stuff, you know, which. Uh, Jonathan, I mean, you disagree? You know, the more options you have, the more likely you are to min-max the whole thing. I don't, well, the more if you have enough options, you can't min-max. Yeah, because then it gets really varied, and it's like, well, I could go super defensive or super offensive or super, you know, sneaky, sneaky base. But you know, I can't. I have to pick one, or if I try and do, because yeah, people are, are almost always hesitant to try and do like a jack of all trades especially when they have a party of people that you know everybody will try and pick the one thing they min max and yeah everyone's going to specialize if they can sure yeah that's that's life that's what people do in real life you don't want to be stepping on other people's toes if you if you you know okay we have you know the guy who's all offense well, I want defense, but I want to be able to fight back. Well, then you're kind of stepping on his toes there. You're going to be defense deep. Just get enough offense to where it's just under the umbrella of defending yourself and not taking out everybody with one shot. Yeah, you get that, you know, stepping on their toes, as I call it. And I've had to deal that with my groups. Yeah. We we had this one guy in playing a hero game where he could do some, you know, like 10 times as much damage as everybody else. But he could do it once. <laughs> oh no, I remember that stuff from Hero Games. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It had yeah. all these limitations based on it, and so he could do it one time, you know, per day or per week. Okay, and it was like you the one shot, one kill guy. Yeah, I had yeah. that in my game. And you know, it was basically oh. it, was, it, it was kind of like the the whole joke with uh, Hawkeye. They, they they said, "What what have you done?" He says. He says, I came, I, I, I saw a bunch of bad guys, I killed them. He says, how many arrows did you bring? I brought 20. He says, how many guys did you kill? 20. He's just looking at him like, what's the problem? Meanwhile, everyone's like, well, what if there were 21? You know. So, oh, yeah. I, I, I guess it's time for someone else to, to, to shine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
I did my yeah. job. What? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's why everyone was so amazed at the uh, uh, the the, the, Lord, the first, you know the Lord of the Rings, where Legolas shoots a guy, pulls the arrow out, and then shoots another guy with the same arrow. And we all just we st- literally stood up on our, in our chairs in the theater, going, "Yes, that is what I've been trying to be able to do forever in my D and D game. Nobody will let me do that." You know, while you're trying to do all this analysis paralysis, things like that, tick tock, tick tock, you know, you may, the, the, the job that the or, overarching organization, you know, may wanted you to do may be running out of time. Or they may put somebody else on and say, you know, you guys, forget it. We're going to downgrade you. You obviously, you know, can't get the job done. So all of a sudden now you're doing worse jobs with less pay. And, uh, yeah. you know, and, and, Access oh, no, to less I, equipment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I've flat out given you, okay, you have a real-time time limit to pick the stuff you want. I'll set a timer. And it's like, no, this ain't game time. This is real time. You get all your together, figure out what you want. I'll, and then once that's done, I will add it to your character sheets, and then we get started. That way, then you're not having people spending an entire game session shopping for this mission. No, I, I kind of put the, you know, the... Well, that happens to my, my guys all the time. You know, historically, over the last decades, you know, the shopping the sh- the shopping sessions are, are not at all surprising. I just, I just did it in D&D. I literally was like, I went, I, the, entire, the entire D&D session was us picking treasure from a, a horde we just, we, we managed to get our hands on, and then me going out and buying uh, a gel to coat our weapons so acid attacks wouldn't melt our weapons. But it took, you know, that, it took like three hours to do all that. And I was like, you know, <laughs> really? Okay. But that's that was our group. See, our group has that problem, where it's like, you know, what are you going to do, guys? You know, come on, cl- you know, you know, get it, get it together. You know, know what you want to do before someone actually says, okay, you know, player B, what are you going to do? Oh, well, hmm, let me see. <laughs> what do I want to do? It's like you're, you're, you know, you know, Bruce, your favorite actor, SLJ. Look at TikTok, MF. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yes, yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, okay. So, uh, like I said, and that overarching organization might do you a, a, a favor and, and basically kick you out the door and say, "Get to it. You're not prepared. That's not our problem." Uh, and that's a good thing, okay. If they do that, okay. A bad thing would be where they let you fail, um, or they just. They just don't even bother to let you know that you failed until you finally get there and find out that someone's already done the job. And you're probably, and the police are out there, and you're like, uh, what's all the police doing here? I thought this was supposed to be, uh, yeah, they, another group's already done it. So, uh, yeah, that's, and because they're not beholding to you, you know, these overarching organizations. You know, they expect you to follow what they want you to do. Okay. So, uh, but, you know, uh, to me, the biggest the, the biggest problem I see with these overarching organizations is the fact that they, the players, not the characters, but the players begin to think that the GM is going to do the thinking for them. Yeah, that, that, yeah, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Not my job. In our most co- uh, recent uh, Fringeworthy game, they're trying to get uh, two disparate groups of people uh, into a starship or a spaceship and lo- get it launched before all the angry trees on the planet descend oh, yeah. upon them and, and basically bring them into the mass collective. Okay, and they keep, like, you know, looking to me like, like, well, you know, I don't know how, how does, you know, what, what are you going to do, Bruce? And I'm like, I don't know, guys, what are you going to do? You know, and every once in a while say something like, you know, uh, how can we like, you know, uh, fight back against these trees? You know, we're just, you know, six people with handguns and maybe some energy rifles and such. But, you know, they were trying, I mean, they were trying to make some few air bombs. And I was like, bless you. You know, go ahead and do that. I was I was not going to nerf it. You know, I mean, I 
they, I, you know, but they finally were like, I just, we just don't think we're going to be able to do the job with what we have. And then I said, okay, look, there's another group out there on the fringe pass. Okay. Another world. And they, they have done so much damage to their world that they're actively looking to, for another world to migrate their population to. Okay. And I'm talking about the Demixi, the spider people. I mean, their world is an, is an ecological, not a, well, it's an ecological nightmare. It's basically, it's, it's what we're afraid is going to happen to our earth. It's already happened to them. And they're like, they're, they've embraced the madness. They're just kind of like, but what I said was, is that, you know, going back to IDET and saying, hey, we'd like to buy, I don't know, uh, you know, a, a trailer, you know, a, a semi full of Agent Orange that we can spray on these sentient trees and, and kill them and, and, and give us a tactical advantage against them. Uh, the answer would be like, no, <laughs> it's against the rules. You know, uh, uh, you know, it's the humanitarian rules that, that the yes. UN operates by. They are not Sentient. going to let, yeah. well, they're not going to let you have any kind of, of uh, you know, uh, chemical, biological, or uh, nuclear uh, deterrent, okay, because they've all been outlawed by the Geneva Convention. Yeah. Right. So they're not going to let you do that, you know, and, and uh, of course, you know, no, uh, United States didn't ask permission when we went and used it over in the. Uh, but these are in particular; these are sentient. We know they're sentient. Okay, not only are they sentient, but there's human beings that are linked to these trees in a kind of a symbiosis. You know, they're yeah. more or less the trees are using them as meat puppets. But the fact is, they're still human beings. Okay, uh, so they said, okay, well, let's go and. We're going to go and get everything we need. We're going to try to get from IDET. And then we're going to go out and we're going to go talk to the spider people. And maybe we're going to bring back a truckload of Agent Orange. Because that way, we, at least we have the option. If we decide to use it, we have the option. Uh, and, you know, so I, be, you know, because of that, they know that that exists. Okay, you know, in this particular case, if IDET found out that they'd actually done this, uh, there, there would be some serious repercussions. But as it is, they're going to try to do it on the QT, and uh, and maybe it'll work out for them or not. So, uh, but yeah, that the, you know, I was the one that suggested that maybe they could go and get some Agent Orange from these people. They didn't think they could get it anywhere until I basically said, "Well, you guys know of these people." And it sounds like they probably would be okay with it, so you know. But I don't yeah, want my it, players to get uh, to get reliant right. upon me to come up with solutions like that. At the very most, I will do okay. You're going to need to start doing some roles here. At the very most, if they are like totally just tapped out of ideas, then it goes from role playing to roll playing. But still, I'll let them, okay, you guys have nothing. There's nothing you come up with that you think will work. Okay, roll this gather information check to start, you know, as they say, beat the grass to see what snakes come out, as it were. Okay, this idea has been offered. Oh, okay, yeah, but, yeah, it just, that that's the GM kind of, you know, just reining in on, it, that is the GM, to, to rein in and not, what, what's the old term for just showering your players with, there's an old term, they use it in like first and second edition D&D. Okay, Monty Hall campaign. That, uh, well, yeah. Monty Hall campaign, but twinking somebody was where you basically gave them all kinds of equipment that they didn't earn, they just like, new person joins the group. They're wearing no. They have no magic. They have no magic weapons or and things like that. People just say, "Okay, here you go. Here you go. Here you go." And now they're all like, "You know, we, you you can pay us back when you earn enough money to to pay for what you're wearing now." Okay, you know. And sometimes they just say, "Just have it. Just take it. It's an extra." You know. So that's, I I, I, I was doing it until I got blood drink drinker. So you can have my old sword while I'm using this new one. But yeah, that's uh, Monty Hall campaigns was where you didn't have to worry about ever, you know, not having enough stuff because you you know it was it was it was a it was a uh, goblin nest away. <laughs>
there was there was a magic you know it was a magic plus two glowing sword with your name on it. All right, so um, who had right. Bob on this blade? This is good work. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. But it raises the question: Okay, if you, as the GM, do this, if you do help them out, do they deserve full experience points? Oh, that's a good question. And yeah, I I would say rein it in a little bit on the XP. Just like okay, but now, well, see, this depends. Now, if it's just, and this has happened, if you have just a night of bad dice rolls, which I have had happen, we pretty much all of us now in my groups have a dice bag of shame. Okay, you're in the bag. You know, yeah, I hear that a lot in my. And if you just have that one night where dice, the dice gods hated everybody at the table, and you got to pull in a Deus Ex Machina, uh, no, it's it's the whim of fate. Now, if they're not doing proper tactics or they're just not thinking, and you bring in Mama Bear to help out, yeah, just rein it in a little. Just yeah, it's yeah, it kind of depends on how much <sighs> help. Um, if 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 like if I'm running like a Bureau 13 campaign and they, you know, contact the Bureau to remind themselves, you know, how ghosts work, I probably won't deduct that much for that. If they're calling the Bureau for help and digging up every single piece of lore about this particular house that they're investigating and, and literally getting the Bureau to do what they should be doing, then, yeah, they're yeah. not going to get full experience. Yeah, my favorite is when they say, "Hey, is is there any? Uh, have there been any previous cases with any supernatural within a fifty mile radius at this point?" Because what they really want to do is they want to go find the other supernatural and force them to come help them, use them as cannon fodder against you know whatever it is that the the big bad is. Oh, that's. I never even, mm. I've never had that. And that is, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about that going, that is, that is kind of cheesy. That it's kind of, so it's kind of evil. Yeah. Some of these people just, I mean, most supernatural just want to be left alone. I mean, if they're not, if they're still there, that means that, you know, they found a way of living peacefully, you know, under the radar, you know, with the Bureau's blessing. So, yeah, you, they, they figured they've struck their deal. They're good. Yeah, so you show up and say, hey, we, we want you to do something. Or, hey, you know, what what can you tell us about this thing that happened that's like 50 miles away from you? And, you know, in, in most cases, it's like, why would I know anything about something happening 50 miles away from me? So, you know, I think it also makes sense to say, hey, you know, if there's is a town where there's a, a lot of supernatural things happening, then maybe there's an overarching issue that needs to be addressed. Maybe there's a reason why these why multiple instances have happened. So you could come in, you could solve the current problem, but it doesn't mean that another one's not going to spawn because there's an overarching problem. Kind of like um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they had the Hellmouth under you know, and as long as they had the Hellmouth, there was going to be vampires, there's going to be witches, there's going to be any number of things that were going to be drawn to this area. Uh, or they were just going to spawn because of the ambient amount of of um, magicka in in the area. So uh, you know, until you got rid of the hellmouth, until you closed the hellmouth, uh, this was always going to be a problem. And so, you know, which was like the, kind of the first and second season of Buffy. That was the whole point, you know, of them working toward getting rid of the big bad and closing the hellmouth. And in a game, it's just. Okay, you guys are not experienced enough to try to close a demonic portal to hell. Just you're going to be dealing with the popcorn and the occasional big bad that comes through until you are, oh, you gain the experience. Oh, I can cast this ritual or I, I'm, I'm high level enough now I can find this artifact or whatever. Yeah, and just... And the GM might be tempted to say... Hey, you know, once you get enough information that these highly trained assault forces that we keep for, like, you know, the uh, 
omega level threats they can just swoop in and do a targeted thing you know and solve that problem i mean that theoretically might be true you know it might make sense in the game world but i mean come on you're basically stealing their kill these 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 agents these these pcs or whatever they earned the right to go and take down the big bad it should be their time to it, it should be their moment of glory yeah it's i wouldn't have the 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 highly skilled swat team be the ones to solve the problem for them they just clear the way for them to take on the the final big bad and and save the day themselves yeah because i i mean i i've i've actually had these 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 players say things like can 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 we not like call you know make a call to the vindicators and ask them to come help us and, I, and i'm like no they're they're busy <laughs> there's no direct line to, you know this was bureau 13 there's no direct line anywhere or you know no you can't talk to the the people whose job is to protect the capital city of of, of the kingdom you know they they you're nobodies you know and yes you may be working for some noble you know, in his little piece of the pie of the of the of the country, but it doesn't mean they're not beholden to him. So you're gonna have to solve this problem on your own. They look at me like I'm raining on their parade when I'm trying to make sure that they have a parade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got to prove that this requires like an army. So far, all you've done is proven that there's one bad necromancer out there. Why can't you five take care of it? It's just one guy. Yeah. And I and I I've, I've had wars in in some of my D and D campaigns where I literally had at least twice all the humanoids decided to like rebel and and try to take out all the humans and elves and such all the all the demi humans you know who are trying to keep the humanoids down you know so it's happened at least twice and usually it ends up there being some big huge battle you know between a, a couple of characters and um, you know uh, and and everybody, everybody goes home happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the players that is, you know, uh, you know, no no one ever talks about all the you know, all the devastation that's left behind as a result of war. It's just considered to be part of the the fantasy world in which they live. Okay, so um, let's see here. Uh, so you, uh, yeah, uh, the only thing I've ever done is there was one time I. In one campaign, I said, basically, it says, you, if you want me to help you, you know, if you don't know the answer to something, I will give you an answer, but I'm going to cut your experience for it. And basically, every time you ask me a question that I have to answer, I'm going to reduce your experience. And so uh, it basically kept them from ever asking those kinds of questions. My biggest problem is I hate to, you know, it's, I don't know, I'm like a mother hen. I hate to see them struggle so hard. I don't want them to get, you know, too too discouraged because you know most people aren't you know gumshoes <laughs> they're not you know they they don't think they don't think tactically you know I, there there always seemed to be a lot of those people when i was in college you know but but we were playing D D, and there were literally thousands of people playing it so you know these days you know you your groups are smaller and they're harder to replace so i have a tendency to be i don't know coddle them a bit more Situations like that is where I, I kind of fall into the Matt Colville advice and just have or orcs attack. Anytime they seem to be um, struggling, uh, solving a problem, or you know they're getting stuck in a rut and they're running around in circles, whether it be trying to solve a problem or you know analysis paralysis of like what gear do I want to get for this you know next mission or something like that. Random attack or a random event that requires their immediate response that doesn't require any of the thinking involved with what's put them in a rut you know sometimes that can help jog their their motivation or you know make them decide on a path to follow you know there uh uh gary gygax you know uh he uh he was a big proponent of when you were going off in the wrong direction have an owl go whoo going wrong way whoo oh, <laughs> go west go west <sighs> Literally was in it was it literally was in the text of the keep on the borderlands. It says if you go the wrong, too far in the wrong direction, because of course there's a map, it's only so big. <laughs> it says to have an owl, you know, uh basically start hooting at you, telling you you're going in the wrong direction. It, 
we we love Uncle Gary, but subtlety was not the name of the game back then. Right. Yeah. Now, one of the really I don't know bad good you know because you know me conflict is good. Uh, you know things that can happen is is that you can find yourself where you have you become allied with more than one um, uh, associated group and they don't like each other. Yeah. I mean, you got your your players and your characters are there. Yeah, this one's aligned with this church, but this one found help with a cult, and the church and the cult are anathematical to each other. They want to kill each other on sight, and their two agents work. Their two respective agents work together. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, it could be a you know enemy of my enemy yeah. is my temporary ally for the moment. <laughs> Situation. Again, that's that's the players trying to play the orgs and re- not they, and of course every player is the same. Oh, I can do it. I'll get away with it. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like you're in college, okay, and you go to the you go to the um, uh, the org fair. You know, they have at the beginning of every school year. It's like all these clubs. They all want you to join. You go around and, you know, you, you sign their little pieces of paper and get your little freebie or whatever like that. And then you suddenly realize that I just joined five groups and they all expect me to come to meetings and I still got to study. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and you don't want to go back to them and say, oh, I'm sorry, but I overextended myself. And, and they're like, well, you know, uh, you know, why can't you like not do that group? Do our group's more important, and and you know, then 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 you look around to see which group has the most hot, you know, <laughs> dateable people in it. <laughs> I guess I I guess I could like study later one night just so I could go to this group meeting. Or provides free pizza. Well, uh, there's always that. Well, yeah, yeah, but uh, uh, but yeah, I mean this, you know, this this. It's really very easy to happen, yeah. Uh, it, because, like I said, the, these players, you know, they don't pick up on a lot of stuff, okay? And they 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 take they take up a, a job from a particular faction. Those people now see themselves as being allied with them, like they have a you know they own you to a certain extent, okay? But then you go and you do a job for somebody else. And they also feel like they. This is like super important with like competing uh, super corps in like things like uh, Shadowrun. Boy, you can. You, I mean, they're all. It's all shadow, right? So you know, you you could find yourself uh, being, you know, incidentally working for two groups that are out to kill each other. I mean, literally in every possible way. Two viciously antagonistic super corporations and you just basically made yourself a, a lightning point. Uh, you made yourself a connection between these two organizations and the lightning is going to come right along that connection with you in the middle. And, and that could be a lot of fun for the GM, but it could be really bad for the players. Oh no, we're, we're just sitting there behind our screen. Okay. Roll for initiative. What are you snarking for? Nothing. I just thought of something funny. Yeah, this, these two corporations making this guy into a grease spot. Yeah, roll for mission, please. Yeah. Well, like if you had those cars, you know, we, we I use the drama deck, and one of the drama deck cards is a com, uh, a a competing uh, a group, uh, you know, uh, or an, uh, another competing uh, that's antagonistic toward the group, you know, the uh, the, the group. Both you and the um, uh, and whoever it is you're fighting, okay, shows up on the scene. So now you've got a three way fight instead of just a two way fight, and it may it may get worse from there. So yeah, it's uh, yeah that that's when by by the end of the session, you know, the, just the the dice are are are, are literally being hurled <laughs> back and forth because they're like you know. Uh, how many, uh, you know, uh, can I tie off that artery? <laughs> How many hit points do I have? I got three. <laughs> so, can't we escape? <laughs> Anyways, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's got to be, you got to be really careful that when you do get associated with these other groups, that you got to be careful that you don't, um, you don't get, you don't get accidentally or, or intentionally associated. Another one, Bureau 13. Twice now, uh, in uh, 
individuals have made deals with Matthias Bolt of the Brotherhood of, uh, of Darkness Incorporated. Because that works out well. Yeah. Wouldn't this be something you learn in Bureau 101? Do not be fr- try to be friends with this man. Right, but he offers you the, the item that really will be helpful to you in, 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 in solving the problem. And yes, and at the end of in, in the big in the big battle that follows, you pull out this this uh, this whip that looks like a monster spine, and you start whipping it around and just tearing up monsters right and left with it. Woohoo! It's great. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.